The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, welcome to Roundball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Monday, March 8th, and today we have a special guest coming up on the show. The TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Bob Rathbun, will be here with me and Steve Alexander to hit a wide range of topics, including what to expect from Trey Young and John Collins in the second half, the outlook for the slumping Cam Reddish. Could he break out in the second half? We'll talk about that with Bob. And the prognosis for the injured DeAndre Hunter and whether he can come back and make an impact this season for Atlanta. But before we get to our conversation with Bob, this is normally a waiver wire podcast. Well, it's a quiet moment on the waiver wire right now with no games happening. But quickly, let's get to a few of the names sitting on waivers, including Jalen Brunson. He's 33% rostered in Yahoo. He's been hot heading to the All-Star break, around 16 points, four and a half boards, three dimes, a couple of threes over his last nine games. Dennis Smith Jr. had a triple-double just before the break. Yes, you heard that correctly. He's rostered in 27% of Yahoo leagues. Another name to keep on your radar is Kevin Porter Jr., 16% rostered. The G League season ends March 11th. There is talk that Kevin Porter is going to be joining the Rockets rotation not long after that. So he is an interesting stash after some of the work he did last season. Nick Claxton has had some noisy permanent production for the Brooklyn Nets. He's 15% rostered as of this taping. And... Cam Reddish makes the cut, 35% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. You'll have the outlook on Cam coming up in just a second. And for more on waiver wire pickups, check out Jonas Nader's waiver wire column on NBC Sports Edge. Up next, though, we will talk Atlanta Hawks and the fantasy outlook for some of the most prominent players with Bob Rathbun. That and much more is coming up in just a second. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We are joined by the TV voice of the Hawks, Bob Rathman. Bob, how is your All-Star break treating you? So far, so good. You know, it's only been a couple of days. It doesn't take me long to recharge. I'm ready to get back to work. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm good. I'm just happy that we woke up. We're doing this. We're doing this in the morning with you. I am impressed, particularly with the good doctor. This is not easy for him at this hour of the day. So this is one of the five earliest he's ever been awake. I think I gave Bob the option. I said, "Hey, man, we can tape this on Saturday at either nine, ten, eleven, or twelve, or even one." And I was hoping he'd say. 11, 12, or 1, but he he went with the earliest option I gave him, which is 9 a.m., but he's the great Bob Rathman. I'm just like, I, I, can, <laughs> well, get up. I can get up for Bob Rathman. You know, there's a, thing called, there's a thing called honeydews, and they start around 10. And, All right. No, I, my wife runs a dog rescue, and we have – it's all hands on deck Saturday as we move a bunch of dogs hither and yon, so – that's why I had to go early today. I, wow. I, was, I, I would have done this at nine o'clock at night, doctor, for you. But uh. <laughs> you know, you know, um, it's funny how Bob, Bob, and I actually met. Is the Atlanta Journal Constitution in two thousand eight? I don't even remember how this came about or how it was a thing, but they did a story on me. They're, they had a series in the Sunday paper called "Why I Love My Job" or so, something like that, and. My wife saw it. She's like, you should write into them and tell them why you love your job. And so I did. I wrote them just an email and said, I write for Roto World, which is now NBC Sports Edge. And and I cover NBA basketball and I do this, I do that. And I think I had a picture of me in a Hawks jersey or something and talked about my love for the Atlanta Hawks and Dominique Wilkins and goes way back to the early days. And I got an email and I was I was in Indianapolis at my mother-in-law's house, and this email I opened it and it said, From one Hawks fan to another. Cheers. <laughs> and it, it was signed by Bob Raffin. I was like, uh, that name's very familiar. Bob Raffin, Bob Raffin. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, it's the voice of the Hawks emailing me. And so I, I emailed him back immediately, of course. And I don't know, we've met in person eight times at Hawks games probably, but man, what a nice gesture that was. And and what a fun ride it's been for the last 13 years or so. And I'm glad that your passion for this has paid off so well. This is an incredible cottage industry that has come about uh, for all sports, but particularly the NBA. And uh, I'm just so happy for you all. This is, it really is great. And the fact that your Hawks fans you know, really warms the cockles because there's not many of us left. It's the icing on the cake. <laughs> it's torture, Bob. It's torture, but I love yeah. it. So, Bob, uh, cottage industry, like fantasy, like I don't think you play fantasy sports. Uh, but do you have do you have, have an opinion? Up with a real one. <laughs> do you have an opinion on fantasy sports? I mean, do you, are you glad that it's here and it's sort of changed? how fans are, or do you miss? Oh, no, I think it's fantastic. I really think it's terrific because, you know, it's it's the way to recycle content, number one. Number two, uh, it's how we grow our new fan base, you know, uh, to get kids interested, young people interested in the NBA. Uh, no, I think it's great. I, I really do. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I don't understand it like you guys do inside <laughs> now because I'm more worried about you know, the real game, but no, I think it's tremendous. And look what it's done. I mean, the, the NFL interest in the NFL has exploded because of fantasy, you know, and I think 
the NFL has some advantages because it's once a week, it's on Sundays and, you know, you know, it's, it's just a, a more of a, of a social thing for non-sports fans. NBA's, you know, baseball, a little more nuts and bolts sports fan, I think. Don't you all? I agree 100%. I think it goes football, fantasy football probably has the easiest level of entry to clear. And then probably basketball next. And then baseball, fantasy baseball, you're you're very serious. Like th- that's a diehard endeavor right there. <laughs> right, right. But it's also, you know, there are a couple of other things that have come along at the same time. You know, you dovetail the analytics of basketball and all sports fits in with this. And then the gambling aspect, uh, sure. which is becoming more and more prominent. So uh, you guys were on the cutting edge and didn't even know it. <laughs> That's often often the case. It's often just that we don't know it. I don't know about being on the cutting edge. Occasionally, <laughs> we're on the cutting edge. Usually, we just don't know what's going on. Uh, Bob, I wanted to ask you, because I will say, even if you don't play fantasy or your real-life observations are valid for fantasy, so I wanted to ask you about a few Hawks players' performances so far this season and get your take on it. You know, last year, we saw Cam Reddish struggle at the start of the season and then kind of explode down the stretch before the season shut down at least explode for him based on expectations it's almost like we're seeing the same thing play out this year the slow start struggling to shoot he has shown some glimpses i'm I'm thinking of that 24 point game against the nets do you think we could see another second half surge from cam this year or am i being overly optimistic there yeah no i i think we all kind of feel like we're waiting for this explosion to happen and uh, it hasn't yet i thought we were sort of over the hump last march at the shutdown but then i think he like many young players in the league just really got set back from not being able to do anything uh, for so long you know is one of the reasons i was so upset that we were left out of the bubble i thought it gave phoenix a huge advantage that they've parlayed into a great season and we were not afforded that, along with the members of the Delete Eight. Uh, we had to sit on the sideline. And I think I think DeAndre Hunter is sort of the exception, but Cam Reddish is more the rule that they didn't have a place to work out. They couldn't work out. They couldn't be around their teammates. They couldn't get in the facility. So whatever good things that Cam had going in March, kind of we lost it all. Now we're starting back over. And, and his year really is, I think, parallel to last year. You know, just getting his feet wet, finding his way, sort of pressed into a starting job before he maybe earned it. So I'm like you all. I, I think we're waiting. We haven't seen it yet, but we think it's there. So I've got my fingers crossed that, you know, and maybe with the coaching change, we'll see uh, the roles change a bit, minutes change a bit, uh, and see how this all plays out. I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned a getting left out of the bubble, which I know based on some text messages we had at the time that you were not happy about that. Understandably. So B that the Phoenix suns of all teams are suddenly the hottest team in the NBA. They were in the bubble. And then I, I also speaking of the bubble and the pandemic and everything, I know that when I've gone to Hawks games and witnessed you doing your thing, you're sort of like an ambassador before the game you're out there glad handing, shaking hands, kissing babies, uh, running for office, all of that stuff. Like how hard is it for you to go to an empty arena and call a game? Has, has that, oh, has that had an impact on you? Oh yeah. It's awful. And I, it's awful for all of us. 
because we one thing we've done is, you know, the broadcasters always get together to share information before the game. You know, who's hot, who's not, who's hurt, what's going on. So we do it now over the phone just mm. so we have some level of understanding of the other team, more than just the normal notes and video, et cetera. So we all talk about just what you're talking about, that we feel this sense of detachment from our teams, from our fans, from the experience of it. I think the beauty of the game, you know, is being there in the arena. Uh, there's nothing like a, a sold out hot game. You know, I mean, it's great. It's, it's what I think keeps us all fans of the NBA is because when you get a good game and it's packed and two teams going at it, there's nothing better. So all that's gone. You know, you go to State Farm Arena, like we, we do every game there. So the home games, there's a smattering of people, not many, uh, not that you could really make a tell a difference in your headset with the crowd noise, yeah. but there's a few people there. It'll be a little bit more. I think uh, we're going to open it up a little bit more uh, next weekend. So it'll be better, but you still don't have that touch. You know, you still don't have what you're talking about, Doc. And that's the the one-on-one, you know, the Hawks fans, particularly those that sit near us, near Nick and I, you know, they're friends of ours, you know, this is our social time and that's all been taken away. So it's been very difficult, but I think the biggest thing is not so, and I, and that's of course the reason this game exists is for the fans, but I think even more so for the broadcasters, we feel a sense of detachment that we've never really felt before. You know, when you're used to traveling with a team and being at practice every day and in the hotel and on the bus and on the plane, and it's taken away, one of the big things as the conduit for the fan is that we're missing all that. You know, I can't have a conversation with DeAndre Hunter about guarding player X. I can't talk to the assistant coaches because, I mean, I could, but it's just laborious to try to get them on the phone and. I can't do it face to face and all this stuff. Like we, we haven't, I haven't had a conversation with Nate yet. Okay. I've known Nate McMillan since he played at NC state, but with the all-star break and all this happening, we're finally making arrangements just to talk one-on-one next week before we go back to practice. So it's that detachment that we all feel that we think is, is kind of hurting our broadcasts in a way uh, because we just can't tell the story like we'd like to. And then the other thing for the fans is we're trying to give them an accurate description of what's going on. And I'm watching the game just like you guys watch the game, which is on a little screen. If it's not in the camera shot, (laughs) you don't know. I have no idea. You know, oftentimes, like the trail referee will call a technical foul, you know, on something that happens at the other end of the court. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Because we can't see. You have no peripheral vision. You know, the one thing, you know, we have mandatory timeouts, as you guys know. It's seven under seven and under three. Well, when you're broadcasting a game, it's just you just glance up at the clock above right. the backboard and you see the game clock. So when I see the clock at 703. I know in four seconds we're going to have a timeout, and you're going to get and, you're going to get an in-game text from me, <laughs> right? Exactly. So I, so I I get the timeout, I throw it to break, and I immediately check my texts. <laughs> That's how this works. I can't see the clock, and even though it's on the screen underneath uh, with a score bug, I lose it because I have to concentrate so hard on the ball. I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I lose all sense of time. So it's it's just uh, it's just a very weird time. 
to try to do these games like we're doing them. But I think number one, to answer your long-winded answer to your question, yes, we miss the fans desperately. We have to get them back. But more than that, it's just this sense of detachment from the team. You know, this is my team. These are my guys, and I can't, I can't live this with them. Well, from the fan analyst perspective, it's still a lot better than nothing because we didn't have NBA basketball on oh, Friday yeah. night, and I was lost. I was pacing around my house. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was cleaning rooms that I did not know existed on Friday night in my home. <laughs> uh, Bob, you mentioned DeAndre Hunter a second ago. He was having such a good season. You know, like you said, it was almost like everyone expected Cam Reddish to break out. And then DeAndre Hunter was the guy who did it. Now he's hurt. He's out with the knee. You know, based on what you've heard about the timetable, do you think that he's still got enough time to come back and get back into a, a, you know, a good rhythm before the season's over? I do. There was a little update yesterday about his knee, or I guess it was yesterday or day before. But anyway, he does not need a second. Was it PRP? Is that what it's called? PRP, I think is what they said. Yeah. So that's good news. Uh, so it looks like he'll get back a little sooner than we had anticipated. I would think he'll be back by the end of the month now is what they're telling us. So that's great news. And the one thing I will say about our training staff is we don't put anybody out there that's not 100%. Uh, once they come back, it's go time, which, you know, really in theory is probably the way it ought to be, right? You don't want somebody easing back in. Yeah. Uh, so he'll be ready to go. And if he can pick it up where he left off, wow, what a godsend that would be for our team. And I mentioned DeAndre earlier in relationship to Cam because he was just like Cam. I mean, they're, they're like the Bobsy twins. You know, they're so close, uh, friendship. And uh, he went through the same experience as Reddish did. Can't work out, can't with the team, can't get a, put a ball in your hands and all that stuff. And yet DeAndre Hunter found a way somehow to get better through the pandemic because – with limited time, he's stronger. He's a better shooter. He's more active. He's really coming on strong defensively. So, you know, he's sort of the the exception that proves the rule, I think, toward, you know, with the shutdown of the pandemic for the eight clubs that didn't go to the bubble. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Go ahead, I Steve. did not know that DeAndre Hunter was going to be a scorer in this league. I thought he was a three and D guy. I, I didn't know he had this kind of offensive game in him. And to me, he's been one of the most pleasant surprises the Hawks have had in a long time. Like, I, I love DeAndre Hunter. I do too. And he's such a wonderful guy. He's uh, he's a very kind person. And, um, you know, starting, I think, in this, this second year to show a little more emotion on court, you know, he got a technical foul right before he got hurt. And that, like, stunned everybody. Like, <laughs> DeAndre Hunter said something. <laughs> and said something bad to the referee. So he's starting to blossom. He's starting to to really become a leader in this ball club and uh, couldn't be happier. You know, we moved heaven and earth, you know, to get him <laughs> with all the picks and whatnot. And it's proving out to be, you know, a bold move that uh, he's going to be around a long time. He's, he's like he's got the DNA for this. Bob, we have a we have a dunk contest coming up this weekend. Yes, we do. It features individuals known as Obi Toppin, Anthony Simons, and a guy named Cassius Stanley. Now, back in the day, I went to a dunk contest in Indianapolis that featured a guy named Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan. There was a guy named Clyde Drexler there, Dr. J, 
Orlando Woolridge, my guy back in the day, Terrence Stansberry. And this guy right here. Nice. 1985. He won four dunk contests. He got credit for two of them, as he likes to say. <laughs> Talk to me about your excitement level for watching Obi Toppin, Anthony Simons, and Cassius Stanley dunk this weekend. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> Probably about a minus two. And how have we gotten here? Like, to, well, how have we gotten here? It is the everything I think that we're seeing in the NBA, sort of the things that, you know, us old guys hold near and dear competition, you know, proving your worth and value. This has all changed. And I think this is 20 years of AAU culture and mindset that's seeped into the pros. Nick and I talk about this often because nothing you know, gets him going more than what we talk about these stars who refuse to get in the dunk contest. It's bad for the game because it's bad for the fans. You remember that dunk contest in Indianapolis and people that have been to the classic dunk contests in the past. It was done for them. The guys who got into it, Nick and Jordan, these guys weren't worried about losing. They were out there to have fun and compete. We've lost that. The fact that LeBron James has never been in a dunk contest, I think, tells you everything you need to know. They're more worried, it seems to to us, they're more worried about their brand than they are about pleasing the fans. How can, now, injuries notwithstanding, but how can Zion Williamson, they begged him to get in this dunk contest this year, turn it down. Now, I know he sat the last game, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. How can you not want to go out there and have fun and compete? But it's just like, I can't afford to lose because I might, you know, I might drop 50,000 followers on Instagram if I don't win it. It's like, what are you talking about? And so you end up with what you've got this year, which is like the one of the premier events of All-Star Weekend in years past has gotten so watered down that. Unless you're like the three of us, you've never heard of these guys, right? And you're going to put them on your biggest stage worldwide, you know, 215 countries tuning in to watch Cassius Stanley. You know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, you know, maybe Zion, you guys can help me out. Zion, you know, I, I saw on Sports Center the other night is the number, he has the second most dunks in the NBA behind Rudy Gobert this season. But the difference between Rudy Gobert and Zion is is almost every one of Zion's dunks is memorable. And almost, you know, half of Zion's dunks end up on TV. I would like to watch him dunk. And so would a lot of other a lot of other fans. fans want to see this. Yeah. I think there's an element of the dunk contest where there's the potential for embarrassment, that awkward moment where you brick like 10 dunks in a row. I, but I'm just trying to put myself in the mindset of why Chris it's Anderson. lost its luster. Because you are seeing people want to do the three-point contest, it seems, and they want to do the skills challenge. Those have become like bigger events in the dunk contest. I, I think one thing that hurts the dunk contest is like every great dunk's been done. I mean, the, yeah. you know. Once they started like Blake Griffin jumping over a car and it's just got to be like, this is getting a little ridiculous. Right. But by the same token, I think a great 
athletic dunk, whether it's a 360, you know, bounce it off the floor and dunk it or whatever, what have you, it's still memorable. But the part that I don't understand is why don't you want to be the best? Why don't you want to go out there and challenge yourself right. to be a, a great showman and dunker and, and get out there and try it? Uh, that's the part that's missing. And they fine-tuned it because they've compressed all this into one night. They can't spend a lot of time on a dunk contest. They yeah. can't let a guy miss 10. So right. I think everybody gets two dunks. These three guys get two dunks, and then the top two move on, and then they get one dunk each, and that's it. So it'll go a little faster, but still, I mean, it's nothing like it used to be. It's sad, I think, in a way. Yeah, agreed. The Vince Carter dunk contest is one of the great spectacles I've ever seen. You know, would love to have another one ever rise to even close to that level. We'd be lucky, but it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. I know. It's sad. Bob, I've got one. I personally have one more basketball question I want to ask you, and I'll roll Trey Young and John Collins into the same question here. Uh Both of these guys have seen their numbers just ever so slightly down from last season. Mainly Trey, it's a little hidden scoring. He's down a few points per game. Collins is down from about 22 points, 10 boards, to around 18 and 8 this year. Do you think that is simply the product of the team being a bit deeper and better this year? Is it possible with the coaching change that both of these guys you know, become a little bit more of the focal point than they were? Do you see room for their numbers to ascend a bit in the second half, or do you think this reality is what what the reality is? I think a little bit of all that, but I think obviously the, for John, the addition of Clint Capella has uh, done more to lessen his numbers than anything because Capella has taken every rebound. Uh, and yet John is still finding a way to be a very solid rebound. Where is he around eight rebounds a night? Yeah. yeah, And still, you know, still very active on the offensive glass, but you know, you got a guy next to you that's getting everything in sight. Yeah. So that's going to affect Collins's numbers for Trey. It is a, I think a lot of things. I think number one is that he's got when we're healthy, you know, he's going to have more people around him that can score. You know, you saw the emergence of Hunter. We talked about that. You got now two guys that can work around the basket in Collins and Capella, you know, so he's not going to have to shoot as often to get the numbers like he was getting. So that I said, I thought that before the season began, I thought, you know, for us to win, his numbers have to come down. Mm-hmm. You know, his usage rate is still astronomical, but he, we've got to get more people involved for us to be a better basketball team. So I think that's a big part of it too. The one thing that Trey is finding out with the injuries, okay, is that you take the ball out of his hands and dare somebody else to beat you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one component to his down numbers. Now, number two, I think one of the things about Trey is he's got to trust his teammates more, you know, uh, his turnovers are still way too high. Yeah, I mean, anybody who has a usage rate like he has is going to have a high turnover rate. But, if, you know, when you're getting around seven, eight a game, uh, that's way too many. So he's got to trust his teammates a little bit more to make plays. And I think as Trey goes through this, you know, the young players that come into this league focus too much, I think, on stats because stats are what get you paid. But once you get that second contract, then it's all about, well, I want to win. Well, I think you can do both. I think you can accumulate the numbers, but also help your team win basketball games. Lloyd Pierce did not get canned because Trey's numbers are down. Lloyd Pierce got canned because we're not winning like we should. Okay. So find a balance for Trey 
to have the good numbers like he does. Because if you look at Trey, he plays the same today that he did as a senior in high school. And his game basically has not changed. So I think one of the challenges for Nate and for the whole staff is to get him to play a little less of you being the whole show Mm -hmm. and be the facilitator. I've said on the air and Nick is, I think Nick is in alignment with me on this one. I see him more as a Tony Parker than, you know, like the Steph Curry. He's not Steph Curry. It's not debated. Trey's not as good a shooter. He's just not, he can shoot it from distance, but he's not that good of a shooter, but be more like Tony Parker in that, Go through the first three quarters of the game, set up your teammates, relax the double teams on you, and make them pay. And then when the fourth quarter comes around and they've got to sit back and guard everybody else, then go to work. Then get in the lane, do the floater, do the, you know, do all that stuff. And I think he'd still have great numbers, and I think the Hawks would win. And my two cent observation. Wanna make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Unlike Matt, I have a couple more questions. Well, one, one I, w- I wasn't even going to talk about, but you, you mentioned it, uh, Clint Capella. I really wasn't sold i guess on on what he was going to bring to the table we didn't see him play in an entire year um we didn't know how he was going to fit in with this team but my gosh like he has been to me i already said this about deandre hunter but what a pleasant surprise especially for this nba season like he he's been awesome and he had to be i don't think he should be on the all-star team but he was at least in the mix like what a great season clint capella's having Oh, man. And where would we be without him? Good Lord. The guy's amazing. You don't know about players till you see them every day, particularly guys from the West that we see, you know, once or twice a year, maybe. Capella's been tremendous. And I'll tell you the two things that have uh, really caught Nick and I a little bit by surprise. Number one, his hands are incredible. First of all, the way he's able to keep the ball alive on the glass until he can grab it. Uh, Not too many guys in this league can do that. And the other thing is that he's developed a nice little lefty hook that we did not know that he had. Uh, So he can utilize that offhand to score, but he's dynamite around the basket. I mean, if he could hit his free throws, good heavens, (laughs) uh, you'd really have something. 
kind of like Giannis in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how good he is around that basket. I mean, and defends really. I, I'm with you. I, what a pleasant surprise he has been. And from what I can tell, you know, just a little bit, I was around him last February when we got him in March. Very solid citizen, good guy, good to be around. You know, not boisterous by any means, but, you know, uh, very solid, good guy to talk to, get to know. And then, you know, we haven't seen him since personally, but, uh, <laughs> but man, really, really good guy and plays hard and, you know, stays out of foul trouble and does all the things you like. Now, when I'm, when I'm watching NBA TV, they like to play a commercial that features you singing, sing shouting from the logo. (laughs) Have you, have you trademarked from the logo? (laughs) Is is there any financial gain for you to be had with from the logo? And have you talked to Trey or anyone else about from the logo? Because Matt oftentimes will text me and say something about the logo. I, I feel like it's sort of become a Hawks thing from the logo. Right. No, I really have not. Uh, do you guys like it? Love it. Love it. Do you love I, it? Okay, love I will it. use it more then. Yeah, you know, it. sometimes you're not sure if he's going to shoot it from out there, you know, and in the NBA, as you know, with 30 different floors, the logo size varies. <laughs> you know, some are really big and some are small. But uh, no, I it just came out one night. You know, as most of these things do for us broadcasters. And uh, when he shot it, it was more of a reaction like, "Oh my God, he's actually going to shoot a forty footer here." But and I was hoping it, and then it went in, which made it all the more incredible. But I will use it more if you guys like it. I will use it more. <laughs> Keep it coming. I got. I guess one more thing. It's two two things combined. Steve Holman gets all the credit for being the Iron Man for the Hawks because he's uh-huh. been on the radio for a million years. <laughs> I haven't looked up any numbers on you or him, but I, I know you've been calling Hawks games for a very, very long time. I think you should also get the Iron Man credit because you've been doing this forever. I also think people don't know this, but you called Braves games back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. I did. I think you had a pretty iconic Braves call, maybe a chipper. I, I don't know what it was. Oh, the what? Andrew Jones catch. The Andrew Jones catch. Okay, so tell us about the Andrew Jones catch. What What's your favorite Braves call memory, and what's your favorite Hawks memory, if you can sure. think of those? Well, the Andrew Jones, we were in Montreal, and uh, Tom Pachorek was doing the games with me. I did the Braves <laughs> for 10 years. We did our, our Wednesday night package. And then and where Tor- was that? What, what network was that on? That was Fox Sports South. Oh, yeah. wow. I okay. took over. I, the first year I did it with Ernie senior, which was 97 because my first Hawk season was 96, 97. And the job I took was a combo to do baseball and basketball, which I'd done forever, both sports. So I worked with Ernie and then in 98 took over the play-by-play when Ernie retired. Um, just the Wednesday night package. Those are the games that we had. We had like five spring training. It was 30. It was great because the Hawk season would end and I'd go right to baseball and then you know, baseball would end and media day was the next Monday for the Hawks. So it worked out great. I was working year round. I loved every second of it, but the Andrew Jones catch, we were in Montreal. Glavin had a shutout. And I think they had, the Expos had a guy on base and uh, Will Cordero hit one in the gap and left center. And at Olympic stadium, we sit behind home plate, sort of like the mezzanine level, but what you could do from that booth, is you could see 
when the ball left the bat and you could see the, if the outfielder was going to get there, you, know, you just had the perfect perspective on, you know, are these lines going to intersect. Well, here comes Andrew Jones, who, you know, I never saw Willie Mays in his prime, obviously, but how there could be anybody better in center field defensively than this guy, I can't imagine. He gets going and that ball's sinking and all of it. Now, remember, Olympic Stadium, you're playing on concrete. There's a little bit of AstroTurf on top of it, <laughs> but it's basically concrete. It's awful ballpark, awful stadium. And he is at full tilt, stretches out and makes this catch backhand diving grab for the third out of the bottom of the ninth preserves the win preserves glab and shut out. I think it was, it may have been Tommy's 200th win if I remember correctly and just an unbelievable catch. And I'd lost it. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And one of my favorite Braves moments, you know, because we didn't do every game, I don't have a ton of Braves, you know, great, calls or great moments, but I do remember like when Andres Galarraga came back from cancer, that was really special. You know, that time watching Maddox pitch in 30 degree weather in Philadelphia in April. And the game took two hours and three minutes, you know, and I think he went to three ball count twice the whole night, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. It was just, it was ridiculous how good those pitchers were, but as great as they were, I always wonder what their ERAs would have been had Andrew Jones not been in center field, the guy was unreal because he played, because he had great speed. He played shallow. He took hits away. He had the great arm, the great anticipation. I mean, those guys, all of them, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, all of them, owe Andrew Jones a debt of gratitude and should be in the hall of fame. In my opinion for the Hawks, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I don't have any rings. So we're waiting on some of those signature moments. <laughs> And there have been, you know, great performances here and there. But whenever I get asked about Hawks memories, nothing I don't think will ever top the 60-win season. You know, for us to win 19 in a row, for any NBA team to win 19 in a row, to go unbeaten in the month of January, something that's never been done before or since, was incredible. You know, I laugh. They talk about load management and playing back-to-back and four games in five nights. Let me tell you something. When we won 19 in a row, we couldn't care less if we played seven days a week. We were so hot. We couldn't wait to get to the arena. You had no idea. Oh, road game, great. Home game, great. Who are we playing? Knicks, Lakers, back-to-back, great. We couldn't care less. We were rolling, rolling. And it was a magic carpet ride. And I swear on a stack of Bibles, had we stayed healthy, we were going to the NBA Finals. Now, I don't know if we'd have beaten Golden State. Maybe not. Maybe we were a little stage fright, but we would have beaten Cleveland. We would have beaten LeBron James because we had their number that year. But we had to keep everybody, and I mean everybody, 1 through 15 healthy, because it was a team that was greater than the sum of its parts. And once you started losing key pieces, people look mm-hmm. at me like I'm nuts when I say, you know, when we lost Tabo Cephalosha, he's like, what? But because he was the defensive anchor that second year, he was the guy that we could put on LeBron and get everybody a breather and hold our own. That team was special. That I will never forget. That was an incredible run. And when we finally lost to New Orleans to end the streak and the players for New Orleans were jumping around, the fans, it's like, let's absorb this for a minute. They're acting like they just won game seven of the playoffs. 
against the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. You know, 19 straight wins. And it was, and I'll never forget when Bud went in the locker room and he said, I never talk about the winning streak. I've not talked about it one time. He said, fellas, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, fellas, we got to get ready for the next game. And that's what this league's all about. But I don't want you to think that I don't know and appreciate what we've accomplished. Winning 19 in a row is pretty damn good. That's a quarter of your schedule. And, you know, it's just, it was just sort of this pride thing that took over. And uh, it was great. It was great. Had we stayed healthy, I think we really – and we, t- we won 60 games and took our foot off the gas. We had a 10-game lead in March on Cleveland. 10 games! <laughs> unheard of! But, you know, they, they took their foot off the gas, started arresting people, which – you know, I, I didn't feel good about it. I wanted to win 70. Just keep going. We we had that kind of a season. But then the injuries bogged us down, and the playoffs were a bit of a struggle. And I always, you know, sat back and, I, you know, well, the Brooklyn took them six games. Well, who cares? It's a playoffs. You're trying to win the series. You know, you beat them four out of six. Okay, we'll take it. You know, it's all right. Uh, you know, if you didn't sweep them and win every game by 25, you're somehow a lesser of a team. But that was my Hawks moment, Doctor. Thank you for asking. Do you have a website or anything you have going on outside of the the Hawks that you would like to share with our viewers? I do. I have my own website, BobRathman.com, but it's mainly for my speaking. You know, I do a lot of corporate speaking. I do a lot of speaking to uh, youth teams and individuals, mainly about the lessons that sports teaches and then I also have a program for people about how to set goals and achieve them. Uh, Cause I was, it's basically my story growing up in Salisbury, North Carolina and, you know, and having this unbelievable career and a, God knows if I can do it, you know, so can you. So I hope to give them some inspiration for it and from it. So yeah, it's all on the website. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I, I think we have three guys on this screen right now doing what they love, making a career out of their passion and, you know, a lot of people tell me how lucky I am that I, I loved fantasy sports before it was my job. I made it my job. I made it my career. And how, how lucky we all are to be doing something that we love. And I, I agree. I think we are very lucky. And and I think we also made our own luck. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of working for free. It's a lot of getting your foot in the door. But if you're passionate about something, you can do it. I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of people could do this, uh, but they don't have the right circumstances, you know, the right mentor, uh, the right composition, you know, how many no's can you take and still keep coming back? It's not like you're just going to, you know, snap your fingers and anchor sports center. doesn't work that way. You know, when I tell young broadcasters that are just getting started, I say, you know, go to Salisbury, North Carolina. And do high school football and basketball and American Legion baseball and do it for 10 years, not 10 minutes, do it for Mm -hmm. 10 years and make $5 a game and get better, make your mistakes down there, develop your personality and all that, then move up because then when you get there, you'll stay. There are lots of ways to do it. Some people find lightning in a bottle and God bless them. But I think for the most part, most people, this is an experiential business that I'm in. Uh, you've got to go out there and do it to get better at it. And those who stick with it usually find a way, you know, and I also encourage young broadcasters, male and female. I say, you know, try a little bit of everything, you know, 
play-by-play may not be for you. Play-by-play TV may not be for you. It may look great, but then you say, oh, Lord, he's working 12 hours a day to get ready for a ball game. You might want to not do that, but you could produce. You could be a director. You could be audio. You could be a studio host. You could be an analyst. You could, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities out there. And find the one that kind of feels right for you. And I think you'll find success in this business because it's what a great way to make a living. I mean, I always think of the great line from Coach Don Shula, the closer I get to the stadium, the faster I walk. And I think if you've got that spirit about, I cannot wait for Thursday night when we play the Raptors in Tampa. And even though I got to go to State Farm Arena and it's empty and cold and I got to broadcast the game off a monitor, I can't <laughs> wait to get there. And I can't wait to, you know, dive into the Raptors and see what's going on and learn about all the guys they've had sitting out here with COVID and Coach Nurse. Is he coming back? I cannot wait. And I think if you got that, then you'll go a long way in business and in life. I also cannot wait to see Chris Boucher play 35 minutes in that game. Hopefully, well, you know, that, Nick Nurse lets him lose. They, you know, Nick calls it the slingshot, you know? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild that that goes in. <laughs> well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. I uh, appreciate our friendship. We'll have to do this again because I feel like there's probably a million other things we probably could have talked about. Yeah, well, you guys can uh, educate me on fantasy, so we all win. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. You can follow him on Twitter at Bob Rathman TV. Bob, as Steve said, thanks so much for taking the time. Hope you enjoy the second half of the season. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. And uh, anything I can do for you guys, just let me know. All right, that is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a moment to rate and review us as well. We'll be back here on Wednesday and Friday this week as the second half gets underway. Thanks once again to Bob Rathbun. That was a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed getting to pick his brain about the Hawks. Thanks to Steve Alexander as always. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.